You are now listening to the Here for the Truth podcast, hosted by Joel Rafidi and Eurosimos. What's up, everybody? This is the Here for the Truth podcast. I'm Joel Rafidi. I've got my co-host, Eurosimos. Um, we just finished an incredible conversation with John Kai Herbert, um, focusing deep on the relationship between the body and the shadow and how symptoms of the shadow can present themselves in the physical map of the body. This is an incredible open conversation. Um, and this is really information which everyone really needs to become aware of and, you know, really begin to look at in, in our own lives. Um, right before we get into the episode of John, applications for Rise Above the Herd are filling up. However, there are a few spots left. Um, so if you're looking to dive deep into really embodying who you are on a deep level, breaking free from the constraints of the crowd and stepping into you know your authentic path in life, then head to riseaboveTheHerd.co. And once you apply, you'll be prompted to join um, a connection call with your Asmus and I and really dive into um, how we can support you. So you can find more about that at riseaboveTheHerd.co. Much love to you all. Uh, please enjoy this episode. All right, everybody. Welcome back to the Here for the Truth podcast. Today, we have a personal, amazing friend of mine, John Kai Herbert. He is a relationship consultant born in England and raised in Australia. He has a passion and curiosity for the human condition. He's been observing human behavior for a lifetime. Through his journey, he trained in multiple disciplines and was mentored in somatic individuation, gaining a deeper understanding of the mind-body-spirit connection and its influence on relationships and behavior. As a new father to a son and partner to an incredible woman, John is passionate about creating community and a global relationship revolution. He draws on his personal and professional experiences to help individuals and couples build stronger, more fulfilling relationships with each other and themselves. With his warm and empathetic style, John inspires and guides his clients to explore their emotions, overcome challenges, and cultivate healthy habits that support exhilarating relationships and personal choice. His mission is to help people create meaningful connections and lead happier, more fulfilling lives, mastering what it means to be human. Damn, bro. I love it. Mm. <laughs> Welcome. Welcome yeah, to Here for the Truth. Absolutely. Yeah, thank you. Uh, just mad disclaimer there, that was not written by AI. That was written by me. <laughs> that's, that's, needed. that's needed these days, you know. <laughs> oh, disclaimers? Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah totally. For those that are listening, as I mentioned earlier, John is a personal friend of mine. Um, we lived in close proximity in my last few final months uh, in New South Wales before I, I transitioned to Mexico, not to a woman. Um, and he's just an absolute <laughs> legend of a human being. John, the first thing I really want to get into, man, is just, you know, as, as we always do here at Here for the Truth, on a dive deep into your personal journey. What are your major rites of passage? What are the primary catalyzing moments that really transformed you? Mm. yeah thank you joel and thank you both for inviting me here like i love this i love your podcast I love both of your energies like even this the, the pre-show the pre-show convos like super spicy and playful i just this feels so human to me it's like yeah this is life we can have this life all the time um yeah my major rites of passage wow 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 so i'm gonna I might jump around a bit might form a little bit of a, a constellation it's a sky map of where we go so my major one would have been an epiphany when I was in corporate and I spent 17 years in the corporate industry, specifically in film and television. 
Mm. Um, I didn't go to university and I left my high school, spent a lot of time playing on the N64. I mastered 007, Goldeneye. I beat, that, I beat that bad boy. Dude, that was my game, man. I memorized where everyone like like showed up in the basement, man. Four people licensed to kill basement was my jam yeah, in college, dude. Golden gun, golden gun. Damn. I haven't played that in years. I haven't even thought about it in a while. So we don't need to talk about all your work and the conscious deep stuff. Let's just talk about strategies for GoldenEye, man. Like, that's it. <laughs> Proximity mines and yeah, yeah, remote yeah. mines. That's it. That's it. We're good. I'd be odd job, bro. I'd be I was odd small. Job. I would just go up to people <laughs> sometimes and, and hit them just for fun. We banned odd job. In the multiplayer game, yeah, yeah. they're almost allowed to be odd job. That that's, was what a, that was that's what we did, too. That's what we did, too. All right. That's amazing. So I spent, after high school, I was like, cool, I'm just going to, um, master 007 so I did that and then um, I was like I'd wake up I'd like sit in front of the TV and like old CRT TVs this is before LCD right now my shirt off just playing N64 for all, all day and then my mum started getting pissed off at me so she said John go and live with your father so I went live with my dad for a bit and my dad pushed me to send out resumes of get a job come on get a job John go and do whatever it is you want to do and I sent out a whole bunch of resumes to the film and TV industry, like advertising companies, people that did events. And uh, it was hard. Like having to market myself was just a unit, like a, a high school education. Yeah. And what I didn't mention was I'd spent about four or five years working at Hillsong. Mm. And I don't know if you know Hillsong, the, the, Yep. The Evangelical Church, who's yeah. actually got a really cool documentary right now called The Kingdom, I think it is. I'm talking about Hillsong and the, and the Pentecostal Church and all like that, the, the shadow of the Pentecostal Church. And um, I used that as leverage. I was a camera operator, vision switcher, director. So the, their live stream stuff and um, their recorded content. I was like a teenager learning how to direct people on cameras and vision switch, like choose camera positions like camera two standby come to camera two camera four come around the back do this wide shot headshot all that kind of stuff i just love that shit gold golden i prepared you for that i think yeah. dude my whole gaming <laughs> has set up my entire life like like i was a real-time strategy buff from a long time ago um like uh total annihilation uh sims uh, Empire Earth, like my my dad, my dad raised me on computer games. So he wanted to be a, like a uh, a biologist, and he ended up getting into computers. Like he was a computer for the punch card days, where he brought home like a Spectrum Z3, like an old school Spectrum. He wrote games for me, wow. like a little fishing game, little shark game, where you had like four guys that you had to get to the other side of the. They're all on surfboards, and you had to like um, get them to swim to the shore, and the shark would like randomly aimed towards the guy that was heading to the shore. Like Frogger, an early version of Frogger. Yeah, anyway. yeah, yeah. That's incredible. But then all, and then <laughs> so, so much Well, stuff. I mean, I mean, video but games get so much flack, but I, I, we'll get into it later if, if maybe, do. but, you know, I, think, I don't think it's all negative in terms of children playing video games, but yeah. Totally. No, I, I agree, Joel. And I think there's a, there's a, there's a, there's a, there's games that help and then there's games that kind of keep you stuck. Um, yep. Like for me, I, I loved real-time strategy games like the diplomacy, like the the 4X type games where like expand, conquer, uh, exploit that those kind of games. 
We've lost, um, and then the I got, entire, then I got, we've lost our entire female audience in the first five minutes of this podcast. But it's fine. <laughs> Dude, we'll I get into some juicy stuff later. <laughs> I get into I get into some heart opening, you know, some emotions, you know, yeah, some yeah. feelings. Like how, how to attract the man of your dreams by not com- compromising yourself. Yeah, there you go. There's a good hook for later. Right. So, it, so in, in 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 the in the gaming world, so I think for me. Um, knowing where to draw the line was I had some chronic health issues on this where um, I, my bone density dropped to someone of an 80 year old. Um, and that's, that's a life. I'll come back to that one too. But I got stuck into world of Warcraft and I sunk hundreds of hours into world of Warcraft until there was a point where I needed to get out of that world. Mm-hmm. And there was a moment where <sighs> I was reading a book. And I thought, how many books are there? There must be millions of books. So I did a quick Google. How, how long would it take for me to read every book on earth? And I'm like, it took me thousands of years. I'm not going to live that long. Which took me, well, I want to live longer. And so if I want to live longer, well, who's doing, who's doing longevity work right now? Who's doing all the science in longevity work? Which took me into the transhumanist movement. So I was looking at transhumanism. So how do I how do I augment my body to live longer? And, how, and I got stuck into all that 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 post-human type technology. And I went balls deep into like um, I don't know if you heard of Zoltan Istvan. Um, he wrote a book called The Transhumanist Wager, and it's a really fascinating book about um, people that want to transcend the human body. And then they're attacked by religion. And again, a lot of my work ties back into religion and people being conditioned to not express their sexuality authentically. And in that journey, I ended up going to a augmented reality meetup. And I met the woman of my dreams there at that moment in time. This is, I've, had, I've had many women of my dreams because <laughs> my dreams keep changing. <laughs> so... <laughs> It's a timeline. It's a timeline. You map that. What if it's a hillsong, bro? <laughs> oh, yeah. I left, bro. I, I, I ended up buying a combi with a mate and traveling a bit of Australia. Um, but yeah. in that, I left Hillsong. I, I could just see it for what it was. At some point, they were going to offer us money. Dude, the yeah. money that would go through that place was insane. And they, I, was working in, I, was, I was working like a full-time employee and, and doing great work. I, uh, my, my work was prime and they offered, well, John, you want to get stuck getting paid for this? And a lot of people were offered the opportunity to be paid. And then we, we put in how much money we wanted to be paid. And then there's, like, oh, we're not going to pay you. So I was like, oh, fuck this. I'm out of here. Um, but doubling right. back to the augmented woman, reality. Yep. What's that? The augmented reality. Doubling back to, yep. Augmented reality. Thank you. The augmented reality. So she was, she was doing the food at the event. And she was this dairy-free, naturally sweetened, gluten-free person who, who wrote a cookbook, referenced the 1500 journal studies and about how you should eat well, the importance of certain types of nutrition, and phytates, anti-nutrients, all this kind of stuff before it was like really mainstream. Anyway, I started a relationship with her and that was diabolical, bro. Like that relationship. That relationship, I quit my job to be with her. Um, I thought I could piggyback off her dream of, of selling this book. To I can I can 
I can find my I can find my pathway off the back of her her life. Um, she ended up getting chronically ill. She was already diagnosed with like a um, chronic fatigue chronic fatigue syndrome, and then she got a further diagnosis of myalgic encephalomyelitis, which is the extreme version of chronic fatigue, and fibromyalgia as well. And I became her full time carer for three years, like um, carrying her around. <clears throat> and feeding her, needed to cook for her. We moved like eight or nine times over like three years, which was insane. Um, but in that whole journey, I rediscovered the importance of the heart and the human body and emotions and feelings. And I also met my mentor who taught me what I know about characterology and character analysis, like Wilhelm Reich's work. In that journey, so every single moment I feel like I've been trusting myself at some, some degree, something has taken me somewhere to, 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 to compound on my journey to get where I'm at today. But as far as epiphanies go and um, those, those key moments in life where I've gone, oh my God, my trajectory of my life has really changed. That relationship was one. Um, I was going to go into politics around that, that time, I thought, fuck, how am I going to change the world? Go into politics. So I even approached a local MP if he could mentor me to how to be in politics. And he was like, yeah, John, I could do that, but you'd need to change parties. And I was with a party that I preferred. I didn't want to be with Labor. Um, I want to change over. But anyway, in all of this, in all of this journey, <laughs> I discovered the importance For the Americans, Labor in Australia is the left. <laughs> Gotcha. Yeah, totally. thank you. Yeah. Left, left. Um, so in all that, I really, I really the importance of the body, learning how to read the body, learning that your, your, your childhood injuries can show up in your body in specific pelvic tilts and uh, the way you move, the way you fit, fit, fill out a body, um, and there are a whole bunch of techniques to explore the personality, what's really there, what's underneath all of the the lower self, like the part of you that wants to, to hide from the world, like your most carnal desires, your most primal instincts. Um, and when I learned to see that for what it is, I could really embrace individuals for who they were and unpack and just release all this shame around the human condition. Um, those have been the pivotal moments. And then becoming a dad, that's not the pivotal moment for me. Like, Seven-year-old, seven-month-old, seven-month-old son. So, yeah, I don't know. Does that that sounds, <laughs> bro. That was incredibly interesting. You 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 gave us the pre-warning in the beginning that we're gonna skip around a constellation of of ideas here. We definitely we definitely got it, man. But you know, it's wild to think about from transhumanism to characterology as a as a as a contrast of one's journey. You know, um, yeah. So, can we talk about to begin this, like body psychotherapy in general, characterology in general, because still even to this day, I find like the body is the missing piece when it comes to psychotherapy, when it comes to therapy in general. And most people do lack that understanding of how, you know, the body in many ways is a biography of the psyche and what's taking place there. Mm. <clears throat> Where to start? Wow, wow, wow. So maybe it was Wilhelm Reich. Reich. Yeah. Yeah, Reich. Yeah, great one. So old Reichy boy. Good old, good old Reichy. So 
Wilhelm Reich discovered in his practice that there was a pattern showing up with how people would appear and present. And he was curious about this. What's going on in these, these individuals that are exhibiting like uh, schizophrenia, for example? He could see how they were, how they breathed, and how they moved in the world. And he could see that there was something called upward displacement, which is where how they're, they would, they're in, their most, most initial defense would be to go into their head. They would, like, you could see this, like there was a, um, a leaving of their body and going into their head. And what he realized that when he massaged like the base of the neck, and particularly the, the base of the skull here, he was able to relieve the, reduce the symptom picture of schizophrenia. And on that, on Reich's journey of, of, of psychotherapy and not psychotherapy, psychoanal, psychoanalyst, psycho and psychoanalysm, psychoanalysis. psychoanalysis. Like, that's the one, psychoanalysis. <laughs> like he was mates with Freud. He was Freud's um, prodigy at some point. And Freud didn't want to listen to him about the body because he wanted to think, he thought everything was the mind. And Freud, if, you, if you're familiar with Freud's work, obsessed with sexuality, like obsessed to a point of every, everything is set. You want to fuck your mom or fuck your dad. There's something that's there. And Reich saw that there was a little bit of truth in this and there was more. Mm-hmm. So when he was in the psychoanalytic association, this is when my mentor told me this, that they all voted against having Reich here, having this influence, because they could see a trajectory of psychoanalysis of just being the mind. So Reich went off on his own thing and just focused on the body. And Alexander Lowen came in and saw that Reich had something, because Alexander Lowen could also see there was something playing out in the body when people would present to him that they didn't know how to breathe properly. So Alexander Lowen developed a technique where he would bend people over like a roller or a chair to improve their chest capacity to breathe, usually over their diaphragm. And then further still, um, John Parakos um, worked with Alexander Lowen to develop the roller. And I, I think I've talk, I took you on my roller at some point, Joel. I've been on, the mountain. I've been on, I've been on um, your roller in the mountain, correct. <laughs> Sounds kinky. It was super kinky. <laughs> In it the woods, bro. Boys in the woods. Yeah. yeah. It, 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 was, it wasn't broke back. It wasn't broke back. <laughs> so that's, for, that's for the B-reel. Yeah. Um, so, so in that, um, Wright could see a pattern, five distinct patterns that would appear um, in people. And these are known as the oral type, uh, the, the creator or the intuitive the masochist or the humanitarian, um, the psychopath or the leader, and the rigid or the achiever. So when I refer to the, the, the pathological term, like psychopath, these are purely, if you can detach the, the charge on the word and just treat it like a bumper sticker or like an orange, it makes it much easier to communicate. Um, so also in that, what I was also um, educated to communicate was don't always use the pathology 
So each one of these conditions has gifts. So this, the schizoid or the intuitive has um, intuitive gifts. They're, they're, they're able to connect to something that's much bigger than they are. Um, Elon Musk has got this type. Um, Russell Brand's got this type. Um, and then the oral has got gifts in communication. Um, so they can communicate really well. Russell Brand's one of these as well. Um, the masochist, also known as the humanitarian, um, have a huge heart and <clears throat> also has, like the, the term, the masochist, also has a, has a, has a penchant for self-sabotage. Then you've got psychopath, who is also the leader. So they've got a, an energy about them and a presence about them that can convince people very easily. They have a charm. They have a charisma that's very attractive. And they also have psychopathic traits to overpower people. And then the rigid or the achiever, they're the, the beings of the world who get the certification. They become the doctors. They become the lawyers. They're super rigid, very contained energetically. But there's a part of them that they lost. They're, it's very challenging for them to have fun and live a joyful life because they grew up so fast. There's a, this whole section of their life that they missed. But in the context of characterology and why the body is the missing piece here, because psychology forked to just pursue the mind, this is why we have all the pharmaceuticals that we have now. So this, it's a brain imbalance, the brain chemical imbalance. Show me. <laughs> Do the blood test. Show me where ADHD exists. Show me in the cells. Show me. Show me. So because there's, and if this is solid, this is known, this is an acknowledged, this is an acknowledged thing that when you get a diagnosis, there's no blood test to prove it's purely clinical. And there's so many overlaps in the DSM diagnosis. <clears throat> it just depends on who you go to. One person could diagnose you with one thing. Another person could di you know, diagnose you with something else. So the body piece, being able to see the body, for me in my work, I have a compassion container for when someone presents to me. I know what their injuries are and I can product them in a way that's curious to expand on what was your dad like? What was your mum like? What were your brothers like? You know, what was your early, what do, you, what do you remember your earliest memories of childhood? Was your birth scary? Were you bullied at school? What's your first relationship like? What was your first sexual experience like? And all of these questions can tease apart a map for me onto what, what the key issues are would show up in that person's relationship and or their personal life with themselves. Do you think, because um, you, you labeled the, was it four types or five types? Like, was that created that was created by Reich and has there been like an evolution or more nuance within them because you know very often you have a pioneer but then things get built on from that yeah there, there is there are nuances there nuances um so there was the initial five we, we're all we're born with all five and then what happens is they they fragment into subsets so you have within the rigid the phallus in the in the male particularly for the rigid there's a phallic narcissistic male and there's a passive feminine male. And then in the woman, there's a hysterical female. And they've all got sub, sub characteristics. And then with the oral, there's an overcompensating oral. Um, there's different types of psychopaths. So the psychopath is actually uh, like a 10x of two types joined together. So you might have a psychopathic rigid and a masochist, a psychopathic oral and a schizoid, 
so th- there there are subsets of those. Mm-hmm. Cool. Yeah. So is it the is it the like initial familial experience that determines one's characterology? Is that the primary driving force? Yeah, it is. The first seven years, um, you get the bulk of your character defined. Mm-hmm. And then when you hit puberty, there's another one that comes in. So you're more, you're more sexual, which is the rigid um, or the passive feminine or the hysterical comes in in your, your puberty period. Um, but yeah, it's the initial puberty period. Hey, the, the stages of development mm-hmm. is where your characterology is defined. And it's, it's, and it's surprisingly accurate. Like for me, I was talking to a mate who, who specializes in programming and I said to him, bro, if you, if, you could divide, if you could devise an algorithm to identify a human's body and scan it, you could have a really good map of how to manipulate them and or how to access their childhood injuries, what their most common childhood injuries are. When you and, say injury, do you mean yeah. all psychological in addition to actual potentially physical as well? Uh, great question. Um, I, I refer to it as in the context of an instinct injury. So not physical. Okay. Um, actually, in that though, um, the schizoid type does tend to hurt their legs a lot. Mm-hmm. So if you stub your toes or hit your feet, it's the schizoid type because they're so upwardly displaced. They tend to forget what their lower limbs are doing. That's, that, that's a pattern that shows up in every, every schizoid that I know, that they're always hitting their feet on things. It might sound weird and like, oh, but I hit my feet as well. But it's, 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 it's a legit, I see it as a pattern. Uh, but the, the context of the instinct injury is that I believe that, and this is a term that's derived from women who run with the wolves. Your instinctual nature is the most rawest version of you. And then as we grow up, this instinctual nature is conditioned out of us. So we ignore red flags in relationships. We, we don't touch on orange flags in relationships to get clarity on things. So our instinctual nature can guide us into various areas of life, which are much, I, I see as much more exhilarating than what your mind can comprehend. Because our mind can only comprehend, I see, like three or four steps ahead. But the instinctual nature spans eons. It's timeless. So you don't know that having a conversation with this person at the coffee shop that you just want to have this conversation with could lead to something else or lead to another breadcrumb of a more fulfilling life. Interesting. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> what, are you, what are you two doing? Yeah, no, no. I'm thinking. I'm, uh, I'm trying to think of the the follow up to that. Well, yeah. I mean, we'll, we'll we'll get to it. Can we talk about in this whole context of Reich and body psychotherapy? Um, yes. Bioenergetics, and I guess the right called was it is yep. this a right called orgone energy? Orgone. Yeah. So orgone. This is this is this is this is I'm going to pull in some human design here. This is great. <clears throat> great, great, great. So, so, so Reich. If you look at Reich's chart, he's all open head, right? And then Lowen is much more grounded. He's defined. So what I see in the in the relationship between Reich and Lowen was that Reich was always like in this ethereal world 
of like trying to bring things in and create this this fantasy like magic. And Lowen's like, ground this thing in, Reiki, baby. Let's pull this into the body. Let's make this ground for people. In the context of Orgone, my work didn't go into Orgone. Uh-huh. Um, so Reich developed these boxes that you could put people in and heal them of their symptom picture. And he, he and this is where this is where he pissed off the FDA because he was seeing people were getting better in these boxes. Like he had people diagnosed with cancer and that they were healing, being healed of the cancer. And he had all these documents saying that he could do all these things beyond what the typical medical establishment could do. But then what Lowen saw was that after a time, their symptom picture would come back. They would go back into, um, their symptoms would come back. So Rowan was like, there's something that's missing here. There's something in the body that needs to fundamentally change. You can't just put them in a magic box, shower them with some energy. If their home environment and their self-beliefs about themselves is still at the root cause of their, their, their illness or their disease. But then Reich also went on to like cloud buster technology, like where he could he had this device that could point at the clouds and create storms. And it, it all, there's a, the blueprints are online, the free PDF if you want to go build your own cloud buster. But he, he, he created a, a technology that could make rain. Um, so he was very eccentric at a, 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 a genius level, which when he fled Austria, I think it was in World War I or World War II, to escape the fascist regime, ended up coming to America, just a, a, a slightly different um, diplomatic fascist regime, and had all of his documents burnt by the FDA, which was like an absolute crime. All of his, like his work burnt because he didn't want to show up to a judge to challenge his FDA ruling. So there's this whole history. And not many people know that the FDA burnt his documents, like they burnt his stuff, right? Because he was going against the medical establishment at that time. Can you, um, it's a word that you hear very often, especially in somatic work. We've touched upon it a little bit in some conversations we have, but can you just define the term armoring, what that is, yeah. how that impacts a person's, you know, psychological state and personality. Mm, yeah, sure. So armoring, how I use it in my work, is when you have an instinctual impulse to do something and you're either shocked into not do a thing or you are hurt and you don't want to feel those feelings, there's a combination of musculature, which will um, appear over this particular area of the body, and which usually it's usually the pelvis and the heart and the and the back, sometimes the lower back, where the muscular tension of suppressing that impulse appears on the body. So particularly for the rigid, they have a, a heart to pelvic split, and depending on whether the rigid can receive love from the back or give love from the front, there's muscular tension that can appear around here. And that's what I'd call armoring. And then if you're an oral, there can be um, armoring around the neck. Um, If you're a schizoid, there can be armoring around the base of the skull. So all of these are uh, 
somatic responses for a denial of your true self. And then when I've worked on people that I see who have these injuries and work on these specific body points, it allows the trauma to be felt through and re-experienced in a way without shame. Uh, does that answer your question? Yeah, no, definitely does. Yeah, great. Yeah. What, um, um, where, where's my question I was going to ask? Oh, what role do you think pain plays in a, you know, a body work context? Because, you know, there's so many different modalities. There's so many different opinions on how to operate with a client and like, you know, you shouldn't have any pain, but you should have some pain. Can each client, can you work, to, do you work with someone individually based on what they can hold and contain? Like, I'm curious your, your views on that. Yeah, that's a great question, uh, Erasmus. Um, so when I was mentored in what I do, we took it to the, took it to like excruciating pain. Um, <clears throat> so. So much so that like, we would be screaming, like screaming in agony to, to, to get to what was there. And usually underneath all of that agony was like, grief and relief. Um, so I, I think it really boils down to the container of who you're going to and what you set up. And then when I'm working with someone, particularly on their jaw, I will, I'll give them the warning. I will say, I'm going to work on your jaw. It's going to hurt. I want you to stay locked into my eyes because I'm going to keep you grounded and, and take you into this place, which you may not remember where you've been, that you've been here before, but this is like it's birth trauma or it's terror. And so in that context of pain, I think pain is incredibly important if you want to, because I think there's, there's maintenance body work and then there's advanced, like advanced body work, where it's like, cool, I feel comfortable. That's great. I've got some hot rocks on me, you know, a bit of, bit of um, I'm bubbling, whatever it is, the suction cuppy thing, cupping, whatever that is. Cupping, cupping, yeah, cupping, 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 cupping. Oh, that feels great. Cool. I've done some of that. Now someone's like massaged my body, but now let's do some work, 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 um, which is painful. So into the calves, into the jaw, into the pelvis, you know, screams. I encourage, if it's not being vocalized, then you're suppressing it. So when I'm, when I'm, when I'm doing one-on-one -on -one body work with someone, it's make a fucking noise. Don't hold this in. This is your life we're talking about. Make a noise. And there's people that will just, well, I can see they're holding in this scream of terror. Like, man, open your mouth. Yeah. I know this hurts. Give it, give it some volume. So in the context of pain, I think there's a, there's a place for it. And if you know how to go there, like if you've been trained how to go there, or in your journey of, of somatic body work, like you've mastered, you've mastered it to a degree that you know where to push and you know when to stop pushing. And it's a, a negotiation with the client of where it is that you need to go. Um, take the person to pain. Yeah. I mean, I, I tend to agree. Obviously, you know, it depends on the relationship between you and the individual, it depends on the state of their nervous system and what they can actually um, hold space for within themselves without completely checking out. Um, but I think you hit the nail on the head that there's different types of body work. There's like, oh, I just want to kind of like, just kind of relax a little bit 
and, um, you know, maybe get some regulation because I had a hard day at work. And then there's work that's going to like really support your transformational transformation on a deep, deep level that's permanent. Because a lot yes. of this stuff is is like it's maintenance, like you said. And then there's work that really gets to these levels of deep, deep tension um, and accumulated dense fascia and things that just allow energy and emotion to flow in a way that like when you're done with the experience, you almost come out of, not almost, you come out of it like, whoa, I'm a different person. Yeah. I look yeah. at the world in a different way. And that's how, you know, I was trained in a certain type of body work that was very geared towards, hey, let's let's get to the pain and let's be present with it. Now, if a person could not be present with it, would not vocalize, then you have to make some adjustments. But I think that like when you're able to experience pain and be with pain, there's a there's a level of growth that happens that's just incredible. Yeah, Th- thank you. Yes, and it's permanent. Like you said, it's permanent. Mm-hmm. You, you, you do not, when you step through that threshold, you do not go back. Yeah. You're not the same person. Yeah. No. You don't go yeah. back to the levels of, let's say, dysfunction or whatever, whatever was going on with you psychologically. Like you may later on, let's say you stop doing the work. There might be little, maybe little things that come in, but that core pattern, like it shifts for good on some totally. level. Actually, the, actually, I have seen regression in one type of person. And it's those okay. that smoke pot. Ah, uh, okay. It's like for some reason, when they smoke a lot of pot, it go they go back. I'm like, yeah. dude, what did you? What happened? Oh, I started smoking again, bro. What? Yeah. Why? Why would you do that? It's, it's super fat. It, it doesn't work on edibles, just on the smoking. It, I don't understand what the mechanism is that's there. Um, but also tickling. I don't know if you found in your work with tickling. So when we, I used to do group work, um, I'm going to start that up again. There was particularly the psychopathic type and sometimes the masochistic type. Um, hate being tickled. Mm. So when I was just doing men's work, there was one particular guy that's springing to mind right now, and he would be so armored up when we do body work on him. Like he would, he would do, he would do jujitsu. He was a mad gym junkie. Like this, this, this boy could, if he wanted to, could just put me in a headlock and pop my head off. Like he was, a, he was a big boy. Doing body work on him, and then at some point, we were like, let's tickle him. So we had five <laughs> guys hold him down <laughs> and we tickled him and he like the rage that came out of him was like surreal like it, it, it pushed the board you know when you hear screams and there's like a mm-hmm. there's another there's another entity that's coming out of them right now and this scream there was this, like another thing that was coming out of him and then underneath all of that screaming was grief like just this grief of um being tortured as a kid Right. And then his heart opened in a way that we couldn't open by just doing like getting mm-hmm. my elbows in there and working his jaw. It's like, nah, he needed to be tickled. But his his humor defense of like making the life the, the bright side of life type defense was so strong that his 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 will to survive, his will to survive through using humor was so strong, we needed to go into that through his body, which was tickling. Wow. Yeah. Well, you know, it's interesting you say that because I've had a lot of clients that when I'm doing the work on them, they start like laughing. And yet underneath the laughter is when like, once they kind of allow that to come out, then the tears, then the anger, then some more deep things come to the surface. And it's been so interesting because you're like, they're at like a nine pain level and they start giggling, they're laughing. And it's like, (laughs) 
like this isn't a laugh a laughing matter and yet it's almost like this journey that they have to go through that and then this this gold comes up from the surface yeah um, so gold. hearing that that's it's great to hear and just for everyone that's listening john's flying out to la next week and we're having group pickling <laughs> sessions uh joel's gonna take part in as well <laughs> well i don't know if you remember our yeah, sessions john but i was you know i was always hysterical at points in terms of laughing yeah 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 bro yeah, yeah. Yeah, and 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 in the world when you're when you're someone who's done somatic work, and for me in the conduct of characterology, when I look through someone with the lens of characterology, the compassion for the defense is large. Where I can look at someone and go, "Fuck, you're you're standing in front of me right now because of this defense." There's nothing wrong with how you've grown up. But you're alive right now because you've used humor and laughter as a defense. You've used um, self-deprecation as a defense. You've used the psychopathy as a defense. Um, You've used going into your head as a defense to survive, to be here, to be in front of me right now to connect. And that level of compassion, I think, sets me apart from other, like the traditional talking therapy, where it's like you get a map. You get like a, a, an assessment of like a D21 or whatever it is, the, the depression, the depression checklist thing. Now call this is you've ticked all these boxes, you have depression. Cool. Here's a pill. Here's this. Not look at exercise, not look at their diet, not look at their environment. And and give someone a prescription for a way of life that's more deprecating, more um dissolving of the individuality, like more like a homogenized version. Of, 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 of what it means to be human, which I think is gross. Brave new world. Yeah, exactly. A brave new world. It's and it's and it's and it's frustrating for me in the in the context of qualifications, right? So someone asked me, "What's your qualifications, John?" Like, fuck, I got mentored. There wasn't this thing where I was like, "Here's a certificate. Here's your here's your AS whatever that is number that that you do this thing." I was mentored through this, like two years, hours. Every 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 weekend being in group work, like doing like balls deep, lower self work, shadow work, getting massaged, you know. And then what I've learned is the people that have the who have who put the qualifications on a pedestal don't get the client breakthroughs. And then people are looking for a qualification before they 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 pre-qualify me. Well, John, what's your qualification? Well, what do you see when you read my work? What do you see when you when you hear me speak? Do I have something for you? Do does your intuition and your instinct tell you I have something for you? And I think that's the world that we could go to in the context of individuation, where you meet someone in the street and you go, oh, like Razamos, what the fuck is about you, bro? I like you. There's something in you. How how can I be like you? Or Joel, bro. How you speak, how you how you you voice yourself, your vocal, your your rapping. There's something in your 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 words that just speak to me, bro. How can I be like you? What got you there? I think there's something in that connection which teases apart the qualifications versus the efficacy of where it is that you want to go. Yeah, I think we're moving towards that more, man. I think people are like dropping this, like, well, how many letters do you have after a name? And are you a doctor? And it's like, well, no. Are you effective? And are like all these people saying, yo, you got to go see John, man. They're not like people don't show up to your door and be like, hey, my best friend who I trust with everything recommended to me, but I need to see the certificate 
on your wall? Where's the frame with the signatures and Roman numerals and who knows what else before I actually follow through for the session? Because it's true. It's like if you're a walking representation of your work, and I think this is what you find very often in more conventional models is that people are just messengers and they're not embodying the message. They are not an embodiment of the message. They're not representing the work. Um, yeah. and, uh, and I think people who are tuned into a certain way, they feel that and they don't give a shit. Yeah. Like, they're just like, yo, when I have a session, like I feel better, my life's changing. I'm having new awarenesses. I'm relating to my partner differently. I'm relating to my kids differently. I don't care if there's a D and an R and a period before your name. Amen. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Mm. Not saying that like there aren't great people who've gone through that process who are also effective. I'm just saying it's, totally. it's not a requirement as we live in this world of information and, and mentorship. And you know what I mean? Mm, totally agree. There's a reading between the lines. Um, like I know for me, if I was going to get someone to build a house for me, I want to check to make sure, you know, they have some, some construction, some construction skill. I think there's, there's, there's toolkits that re- qualifications are really good for. And then there's other toolkits that are not. Just not like if I if I look at like the mainstream nurses, um, like a lot of them are overweight. They don't eat well. Like when when my my kid we went we went to we went through mainstream um, hospital system to give birth to my son. That was a huge eye opener for me. Huge, where nurses overworked. They're eating like biscuits and things for like for lunch. Not a proper meal all ungrounded, all living in their heads, all quoting the same doctrine, all overweight. Um, and all of these things, when I look through the lens of characterology, you're sick. You're not well. And how, how dare you? How dare you give me health advice when you can't take care of yourself? And I think there's, some, there's, a, there's a, a revolution slash evolution coming here where people are seeing and what came off the pandemic is what came, what we've been seeing here is these mainstream institutions have no idea what they're doing. Mm-hmm. This is everybody's recycling the same garbage and not grounded into themselves and bringing in what they think is incorrect for them and executing it. And this, the, there's no, Emperor's got no clothes. Like this is, the veil is down. Mm. And now it's a, it's a perpetual, this is, it's going to, more and more is going to appear especially with DeSantis. I, I, I did, a, 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 I did a, a podcast recently about DeSantis. Like he's a rigid psychopath. And for me, I look at his past. This, this, this dude's scary. Like what he, his, his connections with the military industrial complex and who he is as, 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 as a character. I, I, I see another, like a, a renewal of the Patriot Act in a new way that's even more terrifying, you know? So... It's, there's it's, there's things that are playing out here. Yeah, yeah. It's just fascinating, like with your skill, being able to look be like behind the veil of how someone would present traditionally to the public. You know, yeah. real mm. quickly, just so we can get be clear for people listening that aren't as familiar with some of these terms. When you say character, you're approaching it too from like a, even like a physical type, like how they how they like present physically, posturally, etc. Yes. Yes. Yep. In, in, in yes, when I talk to character, it's speaking to the technologies. Designed by Wilhelm Reich, Alexander mm-hmm. Lowen, John Parakos, character analysis. So their character is yeah, how they present, they stand, they move, they speak, 
um, where there's, there's fat deposits on their body um, and also their past. Like I'll look at them as a kid and who they are today and that, that gives me a good timeline of, of who they are. But mostly it's who they present in front of me right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And fat, to be clear, is armoring as well, right? That's another type of armoring, yeah. Um, and that's and 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 in that, this is the, thank you for bringing that up, Joel. Um, You're welcome, John. <laughs> <laughs> the the masochistic type, or the endurer type, or the humanitarian type. These are all the larger body types, right? And this type is the most resistant to talk therapy. So they could spend decades talking to someone, doing CBT, and their body type cannot, they're stuck between being told to do something and telling someone no. So they're the most most likely to self-sabotage. They won't understand why talking therapy doesn't work on them. And it's because there's a it's like a three-year-old child that was terrorized by their mum, and in that they're not allowed to express their anger. So there's this pulling and pushing inside this person that's, I don't want to listen to this person, but I do need to take their advice. And between that, they can get stuck in talking therapy for for decades. And if you double in an oral type in with that, they're the most entitled. So the oral type is what you'd see today as the modern um like the activist right the radical left yeah right so they've they've got an oral injury and this is an injury that comes from the mother where they're not there's not a a solid a solid connection with the child when the child's first born so the increase in cesareans the increase in mothers not being supported by strong masculine men all of these things coincide with creating a child that ends up being entitled which assumes that this, it's a demanding that the government or daddy authority or whoever it, whoever it is needs to create a safe world for them, and they don't know what they really want. They just want to be safe, but it's an internal thing. It doesn't matter how many rules or legislations or um, what pronouns that you use or whatever it is to try and make you feel safe and validated. It's never enough for an oral, never enough. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> my my interest in this work actually began by listening to Erasmus two and a half years ago on a podcast of Unslaved called um, Awakening Somatic Intelligence. And so it's so interesting coming full circle now for those listening. I'm actually um, living in Erasmus's guest house with my family for a short period of time. And the initial reason I reached out to Erasmus was to learn more about bodywork and ultimately get bodywork done by someone. And now we've had two sessions together while I've been here in, um, in, in Topanga, Los Angeles. And just witnessing, you know, if, even for myself, like our first session, my pain levels as Erasmus was romantically walking up and down my legs. <laughs> you know, I was at nines, man. I was, I, 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 I was at nines in the beginning, you know. And even just like we had our second session today and it's quite, reduced quite significantly already, particularly in my hamstrings. And so, this just begs the question for me. Um, what is the relationship, John, between the body and the shadow? And can shadow work even be performed without addressing the body? Oh, mm. great question. Great question. And thank you for getting into his legs, Erasmus. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> my pleasure, man. My pleasure. 
you pass them over. You pass them over across the the world. You know, it's a, te- <laughs> it's a team. Effort. Listen, with Joel, with Joel, it's a team effort. You know, all hands, all feet on deck. All right. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm I'm all five types, bro. <laughs> tag tag team. All right, join them out. All right, cool. Let's get yeah, into yeah, definitely. <laughs> um. Yeah. Look, Joel, that's a great question. I feel like. The just sticking to shadow work intellectually, it'll get you so far. What happens is when an individual gets so overwhelmed by their environment or their thoughts, it defaults back to whatever the body's got in it. So when I when I do body work, it's predominantly about the lower self. Um, so the lower self is the part of you that wants to, to kill people, will rape people, will do any, just wants to survive. And well, this is pure desire, pure hunger. It's like the most primal, ah, it's like the juiciest part of what it makes it that the, the skin on skin on the nail on skin tearing of what it means to be human, right? And some of you that are listening to this will feel that right now, as I said that. And that's the that's the part that I want to work with because that's the shadow that people don't want to have a look at. Right. If you, if, we, if I make the comparisons with Germany, then what happened um, in 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 World War Two? All the Germans believed that you know Hitler was going to save them, right? And they're fully convinced. Like if you uh, um, Goebbels, Goebbels, is all of Hitler's right hand men loved Hitler. They loved him. Like they, there's a and this, this is what, when psychopathic rigids get into power. This is what happens. They loved him because they could see that he was going to create this vision for them of a German people that was strong. And when you have, when you don't own that monster inside of you, the shadow shadow work is academic. Like, if you don't own that in the right environment, you would torture people. If you look at Gitmo and Guantanamo Bay, they have all these soldiers, right? trained to be disciplined they've got all these rules around the geneva convention don't torture all these things you put them in the right environment same thing with like the, the, the milgram experiment Mil- yeah <laughs> great minds great yeah. minds i felt it i knew you wanted to say it <laughs> <laughs> you put them in someone in the right environment they, that that lower self will take over that opportunity to destroy innocence or like get in on someone will take over, and in in the in the in that Gitmo space, um, uh, DeSantis has been there. DeSantis has been in that that at that part of the military. So for someone to appear altogether on the outside and calculating their lower self on the inside, it's a dangerous being. And then when someone doesn't want to own their their darkness, this is beyond. This is beyond like shadow. This is their darkness. This is the part of you that that will will quite happily kill someone to get what you want if you could get away with it. Focusing on the on the love and light and doing shadow work by journaling about, oh, you know, I had this feeling about my ex boss the other day. It's like, no, given the right environment, if you could choke your boss, would you do it? It's like, yeah, I would. So just own that there's a part of you that that is still a survivor that has billions of years of evolution of survival 
built into you that will survive at any cost and you will do anything to get what you want. Speaking my language, man, I, I agree with you totally. I think it's so important for people to get in touch with these, uh, with these, you know, these darker impulses, you know, because if not, then you just project it outwards and go, well, they're all the dark evildoers. Not me. I would never do such a thing. I'm such a good person. I go to church. I'm a loving husband. <laughs> totally. And this is why, like, why I see a lot of therapy because therapy, a lot of therapy doesn't tip into this. This is why you get, like, in Australia, it's quite common where you'll find people out in the country will kill their entire families, you know, or then people that look like they're all together will go kill themselves. Um, this, is, this is the lower self. This is the death wish. This is the part of people that don't want to face that it, it, it's, it can be really, especially for a schizoid, it's really challenging for them to face the reality of being human. It's like, yeah, I'm in a body. Like I need to take care of it. Like it requires maintenance every day. You know, I've got to go, I've got to find some way to be of purpose. I've got to carry a cross that I'm going to, I need to love carrying this cross, you know? And in all of those things, it can really, if you, if you don't know how to access that part of you or talk about it publicly, you feel wrong. You feel shame. There's something toxically shaming about you if you have all these impulses. And that's where you also see like pedophilia. You see all of these other sexual depravities that appear because deep down there's a part of you that's that's not being honored and owned in a clinical environment, of course. To expose the shame, to expose this is the part of humanity that, that, that doesn't get looked at, but it's there and it shows up. And then we're shocked when it shows up. This guy did this on the new, oh my God, it's out, out of the ordinary. No, it's been there. It's been there for eons. So the more each individual owns this lower self, the more the, the base threshold of awareness of the shadow increases. So um, it's like, I can't think of the analogy right now, but the more you look at something, the more you own it, the, the, the freedom and the individuation that comes from that, the default base is much higher. So you have people that are more aware of themselves. You have people that are more honest and open and, and transparent in their communication. So if they're ideologically possessed by the church or radical left or conservatism or whatever it is, they can just speak to whatever their impulse is right now, including attraction, which is a huge mm -hmm. one. So like, yeah, I'm attracted to you right now. Yeah, I'm not attracted to you right now. You're disgusting. You're, you, 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 I feel disgusted looking at you right now. Just being able to own the 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 emotional response that's coming through your body and vocalize it without any charge on it sets people free. Yeah. Dude, thanks for sharing all that. Um, I'm really enjoying this conversation because I just, like I said before, I feel like we're, we speak a similar language. Um, do you think that some things in a person's given lifetime, just some just won't change? Some yeah. won't heal. Like there's this idea like, no, but if I just do another bodywork session or if I just do that modality, like are there just some things you mentioned earlier, like this is my cross to bear and I have to do it as best as I can um, while trying to, you know, live a functional life, a fulfilling life, get into healthy relationships. Because I just think that there's so many people, the way people are experiencing the world these days relative to like, let's say a hundred years ago, the, the type of media that they're watching, the, the, the early trauma, the early exposure to like pornography and then watching pornography for like 20, 30 years. Like, like are there things that just 
you know, you, you're just going to have to deal with on some level. Like you're just not going to evolve into this like perfect grounded person where every type is balanced within you and you have access to these parts of you and you're healthy, you know, like, I'm just curious, like, where's the, what are your thoughts on this whole subject? Yeah. Uh, thank you. What I, what I hear is this attainment of perfection and what perfection is, is for this person, for these individuals. And I don't think that there's a, I don't think that there's a, there's a point where you can be perfect because as soon as you, as soon as you apply morality to anything, you're already, you're already jinky 18 to like, or gate 18 to like, it's got to be right or wrong. It's got to be right or wrong. So when you can love yourself for all of your imperfections and all of your impulses and all of your things, like, yeah, you know, this is who I am. You know, this is, this, I've got this, this thought that keeps popping into me over and over again and I think that there reaches a tipping point where you, you, this is where you might branch into medicines like plant medicines or um, synthetics, where it's like maybe there is something in this that I can go to. And we're talking about the evolution of consciousness as well as the individual's individuation and what, what they want in their life. I think if they're running from it in fear, you're not going to get rid of it. Mm -hmm. Never. If you can embrace it with love and be like, you know what, I have these impulses towards chickens or whatever it is and just own that, you know what, I just want to fuck a chicken every now and then. It's like, cool, but I'm not going to do it. Joel, uh, have you been telling him our <laughs> private conversations? <laughs> be real. <laughs> yeah. No, but I, I hear you, man. I hear you. Yeah. Something in that. And it's like, yeah, cool. Like, Because even in, my mentor said this to me, like in some parts of the world, like, do guys would fuck goats. Oh yeah. You know? Like, and it's, it's a thing. So just like, and, and then gorillas, like in the Philippines or something, there's somewhere that, that, that they dress gorillas up in women in, in female costumes and have sex with gorillas. It's like donkeys cool. too. Donkeys. Like, I feel like in Brazil, I was watching something where like people go and they like, they fuck the local donkey anyways. Yeah. But, then, but it's important because this is a human condition, right? So when, and, and as soon as you put like the, the, the moral higher ground, like, Oh, fucking a donkey. How dare you? And it's like, okay, cool. But yeah, but there's a primal part of you that given the right circumstance, if you were raised in Brazil, <laughs> you, you take some medicine and go appear in that donkey world, sooner or later, that environment is going to turn you into a donkey fucker, right? So there's, there's being able to own that this is part of the human condition and there's some parts of you that will be immutable and there's some parts which are malleable to a degree. But if you run from it in, if you run from it in fear, it's going to keep chasing you. It's, it's attached to you. Yeah. And I, I love this, this conversation happening, man, because anyone that knows me well, like these are the things I love to engage in, like the, the depths of the human psyche, the imagination, like what a person thinks about in their private world. Because so many people just want to paint this picture of, no, look, I'm, I'm this like civilized human being and I would never have these thoughts. I would never imagine pushing someone in front of a subway or I would exactly. never, you know what I mean? It's just like, and there's a difference between, and it's the person who doesn't acknowledge these these things about them that are going to go into the post office with a machine gun and shoot everyone. The exactly. person who's like, yeah, I totally have a part of me that like wants to fuck a go, or I have a part of me that like wants to push someone in front of a subway, or like my boss said this thing to me and I just imagine strangling him. Like, okay, I felt it. I'm not going to do it because I have enough awareness and consciousness that I don't want to end up in prison or on the front page of like you know the New York Post. Um, <laughs> So it's just, again, it's like creating more awareness, creating an expansion within yourself to embrace all these different parts of you and ultimately hope that you can make the conscious choice 
depending on the situation from a, let's say a higher or a, a more evolved place, you know, totally. whatever that is higher. They, totally. I don't get the, 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 the higher is important. I think that it, 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 yeah, in the, in this context, this conversation of evolution of consciousness, the higher is important. Um, to be able to get that somatic awareness around what, exactly what you're saying, uh, pushing, fantasizing at pushing someone in a subway, getting away with something, whatever it is. And the same thing shows up when you're driving a car, right? Someone could be the most Zen, transcendental meditation, done a thousand Vipassanas, <laughs> you know, they do yoga every day, you know, they balance, they dot their chakras with rose oil every day, put them in a fucking Tesla. <laughs> and that, Oh my God, this car cut me off. This didn't fucking indicate. This motherfucker, you know, it's, it's straight away. Lower self. It's all there. Stop trying to bullshit. Stop trying to bullshit. Just own that you're a fucking I maniac. I shared this in another podcast, like this exact example of like, you're just driving along, someone cuts you off and it's like, I'm going to, I have to look at you first. And then I'm going to, I got to, I just got to see your face and then I'm going to follow you home. And I'm going to imagine your family watching me as I kill you, you know, and like it lasts for like 20 seconds and then you're fine. And then you go back to your daily life, you know, like, oh, that's interesting. Where'd that come from? You know, I'm not going to do it, you know, but so it's just funny. Like, like I find this game of life to be interesting and I think there needs to be like a seriousness, but also like a lightness to it. Yes. Like almost like where you can just be like, oh, well, look at that part of me just popped in. Mm. Anyways, totally. that's, that's my thoughts, my experience of it. Um, you think, I, I agree. Do you think like um, there's benefit to allowing yourself to go on these like imaginary mind adventures to, ex- to expand that awareness when, when these parts are coming in? Yes and no. Yeah. I think there's a, the schizoid type in particular, not a good idea. Um, type with upward displaced, lives in their head, not much bodily awareness. They're the next plant medicine away from a psychotic break. So mm-hmm. people that fantasize in, in this place, they, they're the ones that tend to act it out. Because they're a schizoid in particular, the schizoid injury, um, their grasp of reality is so fragile as it is that when they start, they're, they're blur, their lines between blurring reality and fantasy get really like messed up, um, especially if they take LSD um, or, psych, um, or psychedelics. Like there's a real risk of this person doing this thing. So yeah, just, yes just, just no. curious how, how repression fits in this picture. Yeah, great. So repression, how repression fits in this picture is if you don't, if you don't release the pressure valve of the shame, yeah of having the fantasy, either with a therapist or someone that is trustworthy, not someone that's going to fucking collude with you. Mm-hmm. Someone's going to trust, trust you can express it and feel the feelings and not, not make it wrong, but also maybe apply some morality to it. Given the right environment, they will act it out. Yeah. It's, it's, it's an environmental thing. So the concept of a bad barrel and a bad apple this is then Philip Zimbardi speaks about this, the bad barrel concept where you can put a good apple in a bad barrel and that bad, ba- that, that apple becomes just the bad barrel. So the same in the world, if you're suppressing this lower self, you put a person who um, thinks that they're a good person in a world with suppressing themselves. It's only a matter of time before there's a, the, the correct, the correct um, sequence of events occurs where that person will eventually act out that fantasy. 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, again, we talked about the Milgram experience, but like the Stanford prison experiment, you know, mm-hmm. where it's just like, oh, I'm, I'm the, I'm the, um, the officer, I'm not the prisoner. And then like, they were blown away by what these, these actors pretty much people taking part in the experiment would do. Totally. Know? Totally. Even, even Milgram himself, you know, just not, just not be so, so being, just being, um, in the experiment, just being part of the experiment, not realizing that he thought he was separate, but in the experiment, right? Just it's it's it, it's 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 mind blowing. And Philip Zimbardi, he worked with Milgram on this. Um, he's got a great book called The Time Paradox, and how we perceive time is how we also influence by life. So, someone, if I was going to, if I used an example of, um, he, he looks at suicide bombers. And they have a very highly geared transcendental future. So their afterlife is so much better than their present life that they would do anything to, to, to enact on killing themselves and killing a whole bunch of other people. So there's a balance of, of the, the spiritual component, the transcendental future, and your present life, how you see those and how those are ratioed influences how you perceive the world. And in the context of the, of the body, Someone who isn't in their body and is present to what's going on in the body can't really be present because they might walk into a room, it might feel super cold, but oh my God, there's, there's something that's, that's, that's wrong in this room. Like for me, the, the hyperdimensional work that I do, like if I feel that there's an entity or another presence in the room, I know it goes super cold. I know there's something else that's with us right now in process. Um, and having that, that somatic awareness of my body, I can detect what else is going on that the other person might not know. So the presence of the self allows such a knowing of the self so I know where I finish and the other person begins. So if I, micro gestures where someone like flickers their eye or there's something that's so tiny, I can take them in deeper into themselves by asking them to, if, if this eye twitches, if their right eye twitches, I'll sit them, cover your left eye. What is it you're not telling me? And their eye will slightly glass over, like they'll start to tear up a little bit, and there'll be some profound truth that they're hiding that they're suppressing in the eye that's twitching. Mm-hmm. So there's, there's, a, there's, a, there's a somatic awareness when you're working with someone that allows a deeper understanding of themselves, but you've got to know where you finish. And that, that, that comes from the somatic work, the body work. Yeah. You know what's crazy, my, uh, man? My, my wife. Uh, go, go, go. No, go. No, I was going to say my wife did her dissertation on on this subject. I mean, she went to school for like depth psychology with an emphasis in somatic studies, and she did her um, dissertation on the interrelational dynamics of touch. And she interviewed body wow. workers, um, and just that whole idea of like where do you begin, where the other person ends, like how are we connected? You know, like it's it was really yeah, really fascinating and interesting to think about. But again, like you have to know, you have to have that awareness within yourself first. You know, when you're in contact with another person, you know, what is that like? And then when you are in contact with another person, there's almost this new awareness that like this person becomes a part of you too, because you're connected to them. So, mm. um, yeah, anyways, Joel. Yeah, you thank you. I love that. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. Thank you, Rosemus. No, well, what's crazy like um, is this work is so important, particularly like the deep, real body work. And when I first came across it, like, I was looking everywhere, particularly when I lived in Sydney, to try find someone to help facilitate this and try get to like the deeper armoring and the deeper shadow within within the body, and it's just not accessible at all. Like the, it's so scarce, the number of 
people or individuals that are actually offering real deep, profound body work for people to explore and access these deeper parts of themselves. It like it's it's super rare, man. It barely barely exists, particularly in 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 Australia, at least. Yeah, you spot on. So there was a few people that I was mentored with, and been doing it a lot longer than I have, but they don't have the confidence to be able to go out there and do the work. They're too afraid. And that's what pisses me off about it. There's people that have my ability and they're too afraid. They don't want to step out and take someone through these processes because they're afraid of taking someone to the edge of their terror. Trusting that they can touch somebody's body in a way that is painful and love them on the other side of it. So they revert to like sexology body work, which is also beneficial as well. But there's something in pain that is transcendental. Like it's, and it, it can get some, it, actually, um, the BDSM world can access some of these areas. Um, and one of, my, one of my BDSM experiences was transcendental. Um, being public, being tied up, half naked, and publicly humiliated by women. <laughs> Tell but us more about that, John. <laughs> yeah, sure. So, no, but I, I think a lot of people were like play out their traumas, or even maybe can get some some healing from it through these things that are considered more taboo. I'm not saying everyone does. I'm not saying everyone should go right now and get publicly humiliated. But totally. I, there's reasons why people are drawn to certain things. Totally, to- there is, there is. Um, I came off the back of a tantra retreat and did a temple, what's called a temple night, where you it's a bit of a free form. You have specific areas of a room that are set up for activities like a cuddle puddle or a bit of massage or a bit of this. But there was one corner that was set up for bondage. Um, and this um, humiliatrix came and she had this like a, a, a stock, like a stock where you, you trap yourself yeah. like a wooden yeah. tool. Yeah. Wooden thing, and I was like, I want to get in that. You, I'm, oh, you, you're going to put me in that. My, my intuitive response was, I need you to work on me in this thing. So she said, Cool, pick five things that you want to use. So I had a rope, some other like instruments. She tied me up and she was, went to work on me, like whipping me and beating me, um, talking down to me. Um, I could feel her energy. She was in control, she was a masochistic psychopath. She was in control, like she knew what she was doing. And at some point, she wandered off just out of earshot and started laughing and whispering my name to one of the other girls. I was blindfolded, whispering to one of the other girls in the corner. I went off. I, I, I was like, wanted to get out of this thing and kill her. I could just feel this rage of being, I was super vulnerable, like tied up, half naked, being laughed at by women she knew at some level that me being laughed at by women was a a trigger for me and i went there and i could feel i could just feel this palpable i'm gonna murder this woman so i felt it i went there oh in this thing trying to pull myself out of this 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 horse and then just laughed afterwards i realized what i'd just been through and just laughed like a mad person um, and that was a transcendental experience to me, um, knowing that, oh, I've had that experience. I know what this is now. So my relationship with public humiliation is very different. So when I, when I 
do my socials, when I'm out in public, if I want to say something, I'll just say it because my, I have a presence around, oh, this is that public humiliation feeling again. It's like, cool, I'm going to say whatever. I don't give a fuck. I don't care. I'm going to say what I'm going to say. It's very empowering, but I needed to have the somatic embodiment of that to be able to stay present to myself when I'm experiencing like this subtle disassociation of people judging me. What are they going to say about me? Yeah. Thanks for sharing that, man. Yeah, you're welcome. Yeah, man. This, this, uh, this is a great story. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm loving this podcast, man. Like, I, just, I, I love your realness, John. I love, I love your yeah. openness. It's, you know, we talk to a lot of a lot of great people, man. But you know, just to to get someone who's willing to really go there and who really knows themselves on 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 this level, it's really great to connect in this way. Um, so just to put it plain and simple and clear for those listening, is there a correlation between the level of one's pain in their body and the level of their unconscious or their shadow? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Direct correlation. Yeah. So can you can you elaborate a little bit more on that? Like Yeah, sure, sure, sure. So somebody who somebody who is sore all the time, somebody who is rigid all the time, there's in there's unfelt, suppressed or repressed pain, trauma, despair, um, devastation, terror in their body. And they could spend a lifetime on painkillers and going on fucking barley retreats. But if they don't face it, if they don't go into the pain, they will live that out for the rest of their lives. They'll get a hunchback. They'll that just it shows up in the body. It's, it's how do I explain it? Through experience. I see it. I see it in my work. My mentors told me all about this. Alexander Lowen speaks about it. John Parakos, Reich. It's there. You cannot run from your body. It, the gravity, you are your body. There's no magical pill that's going to get you out of your body and your body's pain. You need to go through it. Yeah, I agree, man. Personal experience and from work with my clients over the years, uh, you know, I can only say that when I went through a deep transformational process, I was going through these trainings. You were talking about like with working with a mentor and going through these workshops, like when I first had someone like step on me and walk on me and I was like, I didn't even know. Cause it's like, you don't know you have this pain until there's a certain amount of pressure. Cause yes. a lot of people, they go through their day to day, like, Oh, my elbow doesn't hurt. My shoulder doesn't hurt. Like, Oh yeah, I'm fine. And then you just like touch their skin <laughs> and they're like, get the fuck off. Like, well, they just, they just realize how painful it is. Yes. So like there's so much pain stored in the body. And when I took my pain levels from when I started this more a somatic focused process, down to where it just felt like pressure and no pain, like my sense of self changed. My, the way I took in information through my senses and interacted with my environment and reacted to stimuli or whatever, you know, someone saying something, getting an email changed. Now, yeah. you know, when I, when I don't take care of myself, some of that stuff can come back. But generally speaking, like the level of pain that was in my body, you know, 10 years ago to now, like it's, so different. I mean, it's yeah. And 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 how I think of myself and how I feel in a body is so different, man. So, and I think you have when you get the pain out and these things come up from the surface, you're you're more connected to different parts of you. You know, there's just you're 
you're dealing with repression by getting pain out of your body. I, I've, I have found. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. Totally agree with that. And then, <clears throat> and then also in that, once you've got the pain out, being able to fill it with some joy and love and compassion and all that, that good stuff. Because in my mentorship, the reason I needed to leave was I could see it was going down a trajectory of it was all, all lower self-work. It was all shadow. Like you're a piece of shit, basically. And people were in that work for 13 plus years. And you could see the toll it takes on the body when you don't fill it with love and compassion and excitement and adventure and joy. And being able to receive that, being able to receive the love and affection and touch, being able to ask for touch and being able to receive it, like the, um, I think it's called the Betty, the Betty something wheel of consent. Um, the being able to receive love and ask for love is another form of, 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 of the work where once you've done all the pain work, you've got a huge container to receive this love and affection and attention. And then the next bit is asking for it and getting it and getting those really beautiful, loving massages from a partner or someone that you know you cherish as a body worker who just know could dances with your body in such a way that when you leave that room, it feels like you've been like fucked. Like it's mm-hmm. just so beautiful. Like it's just like, oh my God, like I've been touched so lovingly. Like she knew exactly where to go on my body. It was like she could feel me in a way that I I want to be felt, right? We so, live in a touch-starved culture, man. A tough, totally. touch-starved world. Totally. And especially with the with the I think in the in the in the 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 the, the left obsession with consent, a sure consent has a place, but there yeah. can be this instinctual nature of like wanting to touch someone and hold someone, like connect with someone, like animals do it, babies do it, right? There's a touch, that, that, that connection. And this is where the oral, the oral and schizoid injuries, the early childhood injuries come from a lack of touch, both emotional and physical. And then when those aren't tended to, they play out in adulthood of being starved, hunger, this hunger of, ah, oh, just looking for something outside of the self. Because no one's shown you how to lovingly touch yourself. Yeah. I, I totally hear you there, man. I'm just curious, you know, what between, I guess, trains of thought, what the fine line would be between like, you know, boundaries and also being able to be open to, to, to receiving in such a way, you know, particularly, I guess, in nervous system work, there's such an emphasis, you know, on boundaries. And I guess many people lack that in many regards too, due to that consent being breached to yeah. the wrong degree. Yeah. I, I, yeah, that's that's a really great question, Joel. And I haven't got an answer. Yeah. No, no. Like, I think it yeah. really boils... It, 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 we, we're, this, this is a new world we're stepping into. Uh-huh. Totally. Um, where we're learning how to connect to our bodies again and learning how to trust our instincts and our uh, individual... This is what I want. This is what I want to express. This is me, 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 me. And being able to own it in such a way that it's... How... I love me and I love you. And I love your boundaries. I love my boundaries. And if I'm touching you and you don't want it, just tell me. That's enough, John. You know, just, I, I don't need that. Or, or do the shrug. You know, Being able to listen and be present. The, the rules will be recreated instead of this intellectual cat and mouse academic, yeah. academic yeah. ways of being. Um, you just embody who you are and so much less, less need to speak because there'll be so much communication that happens at that, that 95% unconscious level that people just trust. Um, 
yeah, that's that's where I'd love to see us go. And and you have to go through it. You have to live it. You have to experiment with it. You have to be willing to like maybe go over the boundary and learn a lesson yes. and then experience healthy shame. You yes. know, like, oh wow, I shouldn't, oh fuck, I shouldn't have done that. That wasn't right. All right. I violated someone or, you know, like you, it, life is an experiment. You have to figure it out with your partner, with your friend, whatever the case may be. If you're on a, on a date with someone, like there's, there has to be that level of communication, you know, whether it's verbal or just somatic communication that's going on. And like, we're going to, people are going to fuck up, you know? Totally. So, and I've got a great example of that. When I, I, in a few months ago, I was experimenting with how I could get my wares out there, being a coach and doing my thing. And I thought I'll do a, I'll do a free characterology analysis to this woman. You know, I've seen her on my, I've seen her on my, my socials. You know, I can see I can help her. So basically I did this loom of looms, like a recording program of her. I went into her socials. I did a characterology analysis of her life, of, her, of, her, of all of her pictures in her socials. And I sent it to her and I was like, this is going to be great. This will be perfect. You know, not wrong. Like <laughs> all these violations of consent. And she just she she tried she attempted to publicly humiliate me like took took photos of my stuff of my wall and put it on her wall and I was like this is fascinating this I'm I can be with all this like I I knew I meant well and I also knew instinctively that this is the edge I needed to push okay cool you know and I, I ended up apologizing to her and saying you know what it's actually the equivalent of like a dick pic like a coaching dick pic of like this is what I can do you know like flash it but really deep down it was that's that's not who I really want to be. But in that moment, that's who I needed to be, but that's not who I want to be. Um, I trusted that too far. Come back. How can I do this in a way that's consenting and, and there's a loving way of doing it? So yeah, that was that jump yeah. popped out at me when you mentioned that. Yeah. And accountability is the key there. Like you're gonna do a thing. Can you sit back, reflect, go, oh, you know what? Maybe I could have done something differently. And can I take ownership of my behavior and communicate that truthfully, not just like, oh, I'm just apologizing, but I don't really mean it. And just, and then again, this is, I think where healthy shame comes into play, like totally. to be able to feel that feeling of like, Ooh, that's a little icky. Like I didn't, maybe I shouldn't have done that. I could have sent a message. I could have communicated differently. And then totally. hopefully you move forward in life and you don't, you know, you think, do things differently next time. And that's part of life. That's part of awakening. That's part of, uh, evolving as a human being. Totally. And I know we're almost coming to time. Um, guys, you read, you read most, and I love that you mentioned that, um, Shame, the mechanism of shame and healthy shame, like John Bradshaw's work on toxic shame and shame, I think is really potent. Being able to, I think there's a, there's a school of thought that all shame is bad. It's like, no, actually, shame is correctative. And in, in, in the context of, of, of society and civilization and where we want to go, feeling shame is an important piece of, is, is checking yourself. And then in, in the context of, in, of indifference, that when someone does all the little spiritual bypassing, doesn't want to feel anything, it's like, well, like shame's like feel your feelings. Like it's okay to feel shame. Like, do you want still want to be that person that you're going to be cast out of the tribe or received by the tribe, depending on how you receive the shame? And I think in that honest apologies can also be felt too. Like when someone's like really falls on that sword, and you can feel like a genuine, oh fuck that, fuck that up. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know this person's going to be like correctative in their in their actions. So yeah. yeah, yeah. And I find in relationship when partners do this, really, it brings the relationship to a whole new level mm-hmm. of connection. Totally. Like because you know you're going to have a relationship with your partner, and shit's going to happen. They're going to say something. You're going to say something. But then when the people come together afterwards, because that what happens usually, you go off. You're you know maybe you withdraw. You reflect. Oh, why did I do that? And then 
hopefully there's enough awareness and consciousness that come together. You take responsibility for your role in it. Very often the other person played a role too, and they're taking responsibility for it and truly apologizing for whatever, being insensitive, hurting your feelings, being disrespectful. And then there's like this new level of like, oh, wow, like feeling safe. I trust this person. I can, you know, um, and then life goes on. Exactly. Until the next time that there might be an experience. And then how do you repair that experience? Totally. But accountability has to be there. Yes, it has to be there. It has to be there. I think the vision of the relationship is a real anchor for that. It's like, cool, I want to live with you. I want to spend time with you. What's this going to cost me if I don't apologize to this? The rupture, like resentment, whatever else. I don't want that. Like, If I'm going to live with you under the same roof, I want to feel connected with you. Uh, I know that I can walk past you and still grab you on your ass. Because I, I like that, you know. There's something in in the in the in the, in the connection that that I want to have because it's a co-regulation. So if you don't know how to co-regulate by repairing or having those hard conversations or the accountability, like the relationship has a trajectory of, like it's gonna it's gonna be painful. It's gonna be a, a pain that's gonna dysregulate your nervous system, mm-hmm. indigestion, who knows what else, right? Yeah. So I think there's a real balance there in the accountability piece that makes makes. Integrity and accountability, oh, yeah, two 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 hot pockets that I'd love to see more of in the world. Huge for sure, yeah, man. man. I mean, well, I'm happy to brought up that point. I think we want to probably have you back on to get deeper into relationships. I mean, I know this conversation we focused on tickling and BDSM, but I think the next, <laughs> uh, I think the next one we can we can dive into relationships in a different way. No, for sure, man. Like, anyways, I, I just love this conversation so much. I love, love like, meeting yeah. you for the first time. Like, really appreciate this, man. I hope to meet you in person um, yes. at some point. Yeah, yeah. This is, I this love is that def- too, Eurasmus. Yes. This is definitely one of those classic If the Truth episodes, uh, I feel. I've got, I got one final question um, for you. Just, again, I feel like I'm, you know, tapping into what people might want to know here. But like, when someone is doing this deep body work and there's real authentic shadow work taking place, do memories have to be associated with the healing process? No. Yeah. No. It, you could, you, it, it, sometimes there can be, and the memory is part of the, 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 the map of how your body needs to integrate it. But some, if, if getting attached to trying to find a memory can be exhausting. Yeah. Sometimes it's just the expression of the feeling because you, your central nervous system might, not, might want to process the memory and feel the feelings at the same time. So when you can just let go and connect to the raw primal response of what's there for you, that's where all the freedom lies. Um, so yes, memories can appear and it's not necessary for the, the deep, deep work. Yep. John, man, so much love and respect for you, bro. Thank you for being here. Thank you for sharing this beautiful 90 minutes with us. Please talk to our audience about what you're up to, what you're offering and how they can connect with you should they feel inspired after this conversation. Yeah, if you feel inspired, like jump to my socials, Google me, johnkaiherbert.com. I'm on all the, all the things, Snapchat, TikTok, Facebook, Instagram. And what I'm up to, like if, you, if you're someone who, who wants to become the most individual version of yourself and then approach your relationships from that point of view, um, then by all means, like reach out. If there's some wisdom that you want, if there's something that you heard, John, I had this question for you. Just ask me the question. 
Um, if you're thinking it, I guarantee everybody else in your life is thinking it. So just reach out. Just trust your heart, step into that, and become who you really want to be. Amazing, man. Love it. Guys, thank you so much for listening. We'll see you next time. Take care. Freaking love that conversation, man. Dude, Dude such a great conversation, man. I, I, I loved it. I love what he's all about. And, it, and it's just an invitation, too, for everyone like listening like really have to go deep in yourself if you really want to create the life that you want to create. And, you know, we've mentioned it before, but Joel and I have our, our eight week group coaching program, rise above the herd. Uh, and it, it is a deep dive into really understanding yourself. What's keeping you from being the person you want to be. It's like, you got to cut out the bullshit in your life. If you want to stand in your truth and create the life of your dreams. And, uh, you know, we think that we've created an awesome program. This is our sixth time running it. So if you want to, uh, apply to it, we have a, a couple weeks left until we launch. Go to riseaboveTheHerd.co, fill out an application, jump on a call with us, uh, and let us know what's going on for you. And uh, we'll see if we're a right foot. Well said, man. Take care, everyone. Smoke and mirrors, I'm seeing through the illusion. Waking up in a the time, they think you're in a delusion. Somebody set the alarms, because they be too busy snoozing. I'm in a DeLorean. Fast forward in evolution to a place where we can share that confusion. Yeah, 450 BC, I'm sharing tea with confusion.